Hello, everyone in broadband land, and welcome to another episode of the Broadband Bunch. I'm your host, Brad Hine. We are coming to you here still from Dallas, Texas, at the site of Connected America here, put on by Total Telecom. Uh, I'm sitting here today with Jerry Lawler, CEO and co-founder of Hexvarium. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Um, I, as I walk around the booths here, I saw one thing that always stands out to me are maps. Yep. And so um, it was very uh, easy to see that Hexvarium uses maps to do a, a lot of what you do. Tell us a little bit yeah. about uh, Hexvarium and, and what brought you here. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you, Brad. But yes, uh, geos broadband is a big geospatial problem. That's for sure, right? And so right. maps play a, a huge part to it. Um, and at, at uh, Hexvarium, our goal is to help people kind of solve the risk equation of that geospatial problem, right? It's, you know, we all know it's a large infrastructure. There's no, there's no perfect playbook that applies equally everywhere, right? What, what I'm building in one place can be very different than another. Um, I think the industry is standing on a cliff of all the easy stuff is done and it now faces all the hard stuff, frankly. Um, and there's a lot of pressure to to deliver a solution, right? I mean, you right. Know, but one key question I always ask myself every day is, why do we still have this problem, right? Why do we have, you know, what we can deem un unserved or underserved or not enough speed or capacity to different people in different places? You, you, you know, we we've solved this already. We have technical solutions that can deliver the capacity that people need, yet we still have a huge problem. Right, and, and the, I, <laughs> the issue you're talking about specifically is, I think your tagline in your booth is uh, building broadband for investors and communities. Uh, yep. And I would say even uh, building those broadband networks smarter, yep. using all the correct data that we need to, to make better decisions, where to build, how to build, correct. who to correct. build. Yeah, so jump into a little bit of that and kind of, um, like, who is your audience? Like, who are your targets yeah, in the industry right now? Honestly, the way, if, you know, to sum up who ideally our target is, is anyone who's ultimately wanting to spend money trying to solve the problem, right? And that can span a lot of different people in right. a lot of different places. But generally, our, uh, our main customer base is the, the private equity uh, investor uh, groups, as well as any municipality and or operators who are looking to spend money to build. Um, we generally see that people are struggling to answer key questions in the right order in order to make confident investments, right? Uh, we think that, you know, <clears throat> people tend to look at a, an area of, you know, 30,000, 50,000 50, locations and whatnot spread over whatever kind of geography it is, and they they walk in with a, a set of preconceived notions and biases as to what they need to achieve in order to be successful, right? From, particularly from a, an engineering perspective. People look at an area and go, I'm only going to invest in this if I can achieve $1,500 or less per passing, or some you know benchmark number that they throw out there. They go spend a tremendous amount of time and money engineering a solution to see if it can fit that cost structure. Right. And ultimately, now that we're predominantly working in places outside the top 25 major metropolitan markets in the country, that gets really difficult. It's a much, much harder equation. I kind of, you know, it, to me it's a kind of taking the, the, the engineering square peg and trying to hammer it into the round hole, which is that community that, you know, that needs a solution. 
Um, and we think that's problematic, and it's one of the reasons why folks are having a very hard time reaching a decision point with confidence to say, yes, this is the right amount of money to invest. This is the right pool of capital we can get from multiple sources, right? One of the other key things that we see missing is fundamentally, no one balance sheet can bear the burden of building broadband, right? It's a shared oh, risk. Well put. Right, yeah. you, nobody yeah. like that. I mean, it's ultimately why this problem. So, not even the federal government's balance sheet could bear the entire burden of solving this problem. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. So, ultimately, that is to me then a, a risk equation as to how different sources of capital can come together, right, to be able to answer this problem, right, and to be able to deliver a solution. If we keep going, if everybody just stays in their sort of capital swim lanes, we're never going to solve the problem. Right, <laughs> right. So that's what we're hoping to try and answer for folks, that they can look at an area critically, stress test all sorts of different assumptions very quickly, simultaneously, and then even when you're, you arrive at a conclusion and you make your, you know, you, you arrive at a point where you're comfortable making investments and you start that process, and you start construction, you start building, we continue to ask these questions, right? Because it's the moment you start, everything changes. Right. 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 Every assumption just goes out the window. Now you've got to continue to assess, should we be putting our capital into this area? Are we seeing demand from another area we weren't expecting it? Are we not getting the take rate that we should have, we, we thought we were going to get? Should we right. keep going? Like, how do you manage that risk on an ongoing basis? Excellent. So um, I, I'm always curious about, I see a name, Hexvarium. So tell us a little yep. bit of how you came upon that name and how that re relates to so, your software. Yeah, we start, like everything we present, uh, we present it in, a, in what we call Hexbins, right? Which mm -hmm. is effectively uh, the entire world, there was an open source uh, program that came actually out of Uber where a group of folks developed a, a serialized hexagon logic for the entire planet to understand geospatial areas. Right? Gotcha. Um, and they zoomed down to like some quite minute sizes, like even down to inch scale type stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's an open source capability that you know the industry now uses. And uh, so we based our our geospatial logic on the use of those hex bins. Um, we also present them in a 3D fashion where we can show scales of, um, of risk effectively, right? Where, so there's a, not all hexagons are equal effectively, right? right. So, and it, it goes back to the most efficient um, collaboration is the building of a, a honeycomb or a honeybee or, and, and bees, right? When you look inside a... Um, a hive. A hive, yeah. right? It is a very efficient use of space. And that's mm, what, you know... Okay. So I've, we've always kind of had this notion that is that's the best form of collaboration there is, right? Is, is building and managing the hive, right? <laughs> so alvarium, the Latin, uh, Latin word alvarium is actually a honey, is honeycomb. So we, we kind of mashed together hex, hex, hexagons with Alvarium, and that's where we came up with um, uh, Hexvarium. Also embedded in the middle of it is the three letters VAR for VAR, right? Which is a, a term used in the financial industry to calculate value at risk. You have something of value, what is at risk? Is the value of that thing going to go up or is it going to go down? And I may have 
thousands of things that all have intrinsic values that I'm trying to understand the collective risk of. So to us, each hex bin is its own pool of risk, right? We understand spatially what sits inside that hex bin. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of data that tells us who is inside that hex bin, and we have, we have data that tells us who the owner of every piece of property is in the country. Is it their primary residence? Are they an older couple, a younger family? Are they, right. you know, is it a rental home versus their primary residence? Is it single family versus multi-dwelling? All these different factors, all, the all those data. things yeah. to, to us, we just look at them as risk. I got gotcha. you. And risk isn't a negative thing, right? Where most people think, oh, risk always means something has to go wrong, right? Mm -hmm. It's all ultimately the value of that risk, right? How do you value consumers, right? I think right. a lot of people in this room who build broadband don't look at the consumer first. They look at the engineering typically first. Ah, okay. <laughs> right, right, right. So if you, to me, if you walk into a market, you're trying to build a business, and you arrive in with the, you know, the solution of sorts without ever considering, who am I selling this to? Are they able to buy it? Are they able to afford the thing that I'm trying to sell? Right. 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 So we think there's a, there's a, there's a, a misconception as to what questions need to be answered when, when it comes to solving this problem. And a lot of it is people, I, we just believe, don't really understand the, the geospatial realities of everywhere they're looking. And our goal is to help them solve that and help them see, you know, help, help them see the opportunities through different lenses. Right? Excellent. So, yeah, so a few things here. Um, um, you've incorporated um, geospatial with Hexagon that you yep. mentioned, uh, layers of demographic data in it a is, certain area. Yeah, we have about two and a half thousand different data sets that we bring in. Wow, <laughs> wow. Right, it's pretty immense. We get a lot of, lot of public data, a lot of private data, and there's no one data source, which is kind of the, the panacea to this problem or the answer that everybody looks for. It's really how we've put them all together. And what it allows us to do is very quickly ask a lot of simultaneous correlated questions, right? What happens if my take rate in this one area of town is 5% lower than I expected, but my drilling cost is 2% higher? So cost is that algorithms. Still, is yeah. that still economically viable? Right. What happens if I, my crews are building slightly slower than we expected? Mm -hmm. Right. One thing that we don't see in any platform is a time dimension to this investment. Ah, okay. Right, because broadband, nobody gets to build a fiber network overnight. It always takes a long time, <laughs> right, under every circumstance. And we don't see anybody really calculating that time risk into the, you know, they take it at a, at a point in time and they go, okay, here's the thing we're going to build at this cost, and off they start marching. And they just don't continue to ask the questions. Should we keep going where we're going? Should we, you know, are we not getting the demand that we expected? Are we even building on the right side of the street, right? We, there's, there's too much bias that people bring into this equation, frankly. Right, um, right. So um, just real quick again, geospatial demographic, demographic data. We're talking about co costing analysis and economics of, of all analysis, that. analysis, economics, competition. Time time right we we've developed our own competitive scoring methodology again down to every little okay. hex bin where we can look at how many providers are there what technologies they're providing and utilizing what price points they're selling services at both promotionally as well as on an ongoing basis and then we we basically 
add, <clears throat> excuse me, add or subtract to, on a, we have it on a 10 point scale, mm -hmm. 10 being uh, very good for a new entrant, right? So okay. it's inferior services at high prices effectively with people not achieving speeds that they expect down to a scale of one being very competitive. And we then uh, discount or uh, add basically scoring methodology based upon what speeds people are actually achieving versus what's being offered to them or what's being marketed to them or are they paying in one hex bin are they paying more for the same services that somewhere else they're paying less and we have the, a, a lot of logic that allows us to very accurately determine who's in every house right in terms of the, the existing services right and then we use that to help determine well what will demand look like do we can we identify bigger users in a community than lesser so when you start thinking about different technologies fixed wireless versus fiber do you actually have to build fiber to everybody gotcha right are there other ways of delivering the services and again in time i might use fixed wireless to get to you today but the moment you get a better broadband connection, your usage is going to increase. So I have to have a plan. Um, is this technology going to sustain well, how your, your needs over right. time? Right, and right. how do we plan to bring fiber to you later? Because, and then I can reuse that wireless capacity to reach somebody else and so on. So all of these factors play a huge part and they're all spatially driven. Right. Right. And it's always trying to figure out the geography, the terrain, the should I be going above ground, below ground, and all these different factors. Uh, and all they all need to be looked at and stress test, frankly, all at once. So clearly you've been in this industry for a while, but tell, just from your path, t tell us how you uh, incorporated. I mean, like I said, geospatial, we have yeah. financial experience that you have. Yeah, um, uh, we have uh, broadband experience that you have. What's the sequence of events that led you here? <laughs> Pretty unique. <laughs> um, I um, it's funny. I, I came over on a golf scholarship to college. <laughs> and you're originally from? I'm originally from Dublin, from Ireland. Okay. Um, I came over in '95 um, and ended up in a university, a small university outside Charlotte, in North Carolina. Okay. Um, and I started my career in the late 90s at uh, then Nations Bank, quickly became Bank of America back in 99. Financial, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I was working on, I was a, a typical young analyst working on the trading desk, running around having, you know, basically the a glorified coffee boy for the first few years, <laughs> as you are when you always start out. Um, Bank of America then moved me uh, to New York in 2001, early 2001, and I was um, I was trading Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac debt, effectively, right? So oh, okay. we were restructuring uh, uh, callable debt obligations for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and whatnot. Um, I then did many years in and around Wall Street, either building exchanges or clearing houses, risk management systems, or trading products and securities uh, in, the, in the overall global financial space. And 2010, I, well, 2008 to 2010, I helped start a pretty unique clearing house. This is awfully boring stuff, but um, I found myself basically in a front seat of the global financial crisis. <laughs> I, right. got, I got a front, right. I got a, a clear view of the whole meltdown that was occurring and we developed a technology to allow people manage risk through that period right okay. and we spent a lot of time working with the federal reserve and all sorts of different entities we were um we had all of fannie mae and freddie max uh five trillion dollars worth of swap 
liabilities, and we were helping the Fed revalue that four times a second. Wow. <laughs> right? So it was some pretty strange stuff. Four and times a second. Four times a second, yeah. <laughs> five, five trillion notional value of swap risk revalued four, every 250 milliseconds. It was pretty great. And basically the question was, how much capital is needed in this very instance to support this risk as the world is frankly melting down around everybody? Like it was a huge and it became a, um, a really critical part of of trying to unwind everything that was going on at the right. time, right? It was an extremely stressful time. Uh, I had just gotten married and I decided to, myself and my new wife decided to just walk away from our old Wall Street lives. She was also on Wall Street. And we moved from Manhattan to a very remote place in Washington State called Orcas Island. Wow, <laughs> so opposite we, end of the country. We literally did a complete 180 okay. <laughs> with no plan, <laughs> no... Uh, no, uh, no telecom background or anything at this point, mm -hmm. and um, I was then operate. I was the COO of a, a risk management company that was headquartered in Australia, and I was trying to operate that from Orcas Island. And my broadband connection was really bad. Okay, <laughs> I had really bad rural DSL. We've all been there. Bar barely could get a meg out of it. Right? Okay, <laughs> and. Um, I found out my local electric co-op, uh, Orcas Power and Light, was building some fiber to help manage their substations and their, their network telemetry. And I started working on a plan to get connected to it just for myself, but then found that there was a bigger problem. Like we needed for me, frankly for myself, selfishly to survive in such a place, I knew I needed it. And then I quickly saw the community also needed it. So I put together a, a business plan and financial model for the co-op to stand up a subsidiary to invest in building out a hybrid fixed wireless and fiber network around the 20 islands. Uh, and then I ran, started that company, ran that company for them. In that time frame, we purchased 700 megahertz uh, frequency from Paul Allen. Mm -hmm. uh, who was a very generous resident in the community. That's nice. <laughs> it was very nice neighbor nice to, to have. Nice to have him as yeah, a neighbor. Very, yeah. very nice neighbor to have. And um, at the time, uh, he, like two, three months later, he ended up selling the rest of his holdings to T-Mobile. And we had purchased just our county from him. And we were about going about our business to build out this thing. We were like, God, this is really hard. Like building, building LTE networks is no walk in the park, right? And on top of trying to you know, develop fiber and everything throughout the community, we were submarine cables, like we had to do it all. So um, we ended up creating a very unique relationship with T-Mobile where collectively we built out the fiber and, and wireless network in this community. And it formed the basis, the, the business and our work was successful enough that T-Mobile then asked me to come build out their national business. Ah. Um, and it basically, in this rural corner of Washington, it formed the basis of now what is the fastest growing ISP in the country, right? In T-Mobile's fixed wireless business. Wow. So I joined T-Mobile... Um, before the Sprint deal was a, the, the deal that ultimately closed, they made the decision to get into it before that deal was announced. And uh, we went about, I went about building up a team and we had to create a very unique geospatial tool to help identify to whom it could serve and to whom it couldn't serve. And it, I took a lot of what I figured out in the islands to what we were looking at nationally and you know, looking at the T-Mobile network and, and how to, you know, 
target people correctly. Right. I hired a very unique team of people from the Air Force that did geospatial intelligence, um, and we brought in a lot of my I brought in a lot of my old colleagues from the risk world and finance, and we started developing different capabilities and. So a lot of the genesis of all of this has been kind of, okay. as we've been looking at these different problems, how would we go about solving them? Right, right so version one of Hexvarium was born, so to speak. Effectively, yeah, in, in yeah. the San Juan Islands when I just wanted to make sure the co-op didn't spend too much money because <laughs> we didn't, you know, it was, a, it was a tight budget and we had to make it work, you know, and... and it was affectionately called Rock Island because we had to dig a lot of rock. <laughs> so <laughs> it was pretty challenging, but very interesting. Uh, you're listening to the Broadband Bunch podcast here. Uh, again, we're at Connected America, uh, put on by Total Telecom here in, in Dallas, Texas. Uh, we're speaking to Jerry Lawler, CEO and co-founder of Hexvarium. Your, your name is familiar to me, and I'm, you know, I'm a child of the 80s, so... Um, any relation? Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not quite the king. I wish. Yeah. <laughs> it's been hard, it's hard to be an Irishman to be called Jerry the King Lawler, right? <laughs> <laughs> Technically, I leave that to the Brits, but there you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> but right. yes, I've uh, I've I've enjoyed the few moments across my whole life where people have always like, oh my God, are you are you related to the king? <laughs> right. Visions of of Andy, Andy Kaufman. Kaufman and yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a great exactly. 80s reference. <laughs> yeah. um, so t at this point, so um, Hexvarium, you're just getting started. You have any, you have any stories you can relate yeah, to us so far? Um, yeah, we found, I mean, the one thing we see immediately, everybody, so the way, the way we started out, we were, our original intent was actually to keep it quite proprietary. Uh, and we were going to raise a fund ourselves and go build network. We operate networking parts of California. Um, so we're, we're an ISP, like, like so many others. Um, and our original intent was to be a bigger ISP, was to go build more network and basically use the capabilities uh, to express the investment thesis of the fund, mm -hmm. right? So the fund would use the tool to go identify opportunities and, and deploy risk and, sure. and manage it accordingly. And when we went to market to uh, raise that capital, we were showing potential investors our capabilities and, and, and how we would manage the fund and how we could make it successful. And to, uh, to the person, everybody was like, this is a, a, the problem that exists where we don't understand real cost, real risk is far bigger than just, you know, a $500 million fund or a billion dollar fund. This is a multi, multi billion dollar problem and the whole industry needs this. From the biggest operators to the smallest operators, these decisions are not being made very clearly and, uh, and with good understanding. You need to get this thing out to a much bigger audience of people. Sure. So that's when we pivoted away from wanting to be a larger operator and moving more towards a SaaS model where we could get the capability in front of more people uh, and we're, we're moving quite quickly in doing that. We have customers from private equity folks to operators to large construction entities that are trying to help their customers answer questions to hardware vendors that are trying to sell more fiber equipment and they're using it as a way to help their customers answer the questions that they want which is how do I build a successful sustainable broadband network in an area where nothing stays stagnant mm -hmm. and I'm going to end up having to spend a whole lot of money really quickly and I got to make sure we're doing it correctly. Right. Right. So um, 
um, with my geospatial brain and kind of thinking through um, all these broadband projects from um, the very, very beginning phase all the way through construction to going live to then maturing the network. Do you have plans to uh, a vision beyond just uh, startup and feasibility? You tracking data yeah, we all the stay, way through the process? So we actually have a, a, a kind of a, a four-step process that we go through. Um, three steps we consider kind of pre-construction. Mm -hmm. So a lot of analysis, a lot of refinement of that analysis, a lot of stress testing of your assumptions to, mm -hmm. to build up your confidence and, and clarity um, of what you're about to go tackle. And what comes out of that is a effectively a permittable engineered build plan uh, with all, combined with an actual go-to-market strategy of which consumers to engage with, in what areas, uh, and how to effectively sell to them, right? Um, one of the sort of simple mistakes I, I always bring up to folks is when everybody wants to build broadband, they run to a community and they make some big announcement and they basically scream from the treetops, hey, everybody, we want to build gig fiber in this area. Undoubtedly, 30 to 40% of that community is going to put their hand up immediately and say they want that as fast as you can right, get it. Right. The reality of that is it's probably the hardest 30 or 40% to get to in that community. Mm. So in large part, we see people kind of mismanaging consumers' expectations, ah, okay. right? So we want to make sure that you, you talk to the right people at the right time. Right, and that's part of the plan as well. Sure. Like what comes out of it is an engagement plan in line with a construction plan, right? And then the key is you keep asking these questions. We then continue, we tie into your project management systems and your construction systems and the, your onboarding, you know, any customer engagement platforms, your CRMs or whatnot and whatnot. And that allows us to keep questioning our own assumptions. Right, as things change, as reality is, you know, the moment you start construction, nothing stays consistent, right? right? There's gonna be surprises. Right. Um, so the whole, one of the key goals is you keep monitoring the risk as you are going forth, right? To I help see. avoid stranded capital, to make sure you're putting your money in the right place at the right time to get the, the greatest return. And it's, and it also, you know, it's not about, um, is this a, you know, we do a lot of digital divide analysis and we do, you know, one of the issues we see is money is having a hard time coming together, right? Because there's no, there's not a good mechanism to explain to a variety of investors, investors being actual private capital investors to, you know, municipalities and local governments to an electric utility to somebody receiving funds through some program, bead and whatnot. All of those folks, you know, have a hard time working together because there's no tool that can really explain the multi-dimensional realities that they all face. And we see that as a, and, and it's an ongoing question that has to keep getting asked and answered. And that money has a hard time doing that. And we're, that's one of the, the key things that we, we want to be able to do for folks. Right. Well, I certainly wish you uh, all the luck. It's great to Thank meet you. you today. And you I, I appreciate you joining the Broadband Bunch podcast. Uh, uh, if our listeners want to get in touch and learn more, how sure. can they reach out to uh, you or your website? Yeah, hexvarium.com, H-E-X-V-A-R-I-U-M.com, uh, or I can be reached at uh, G-E-R-Y at hexvarium.com anytime. Fabulous. Well, thanks again for joining us today. And uh, from everyone at the Broadband Bunch podcast, uh, hope to see you around. Please don't be a stranger. Bye-bye.